Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. If you're anything like me and you're just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect what's below the belt. Luckily, Manscaped has us covered. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and just released a new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud, because this intelligently designed stand is a rapid charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code THPN, let me repeat, THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Grit Per 60 podcast, Dale Howardchuck edition. My name's Connor Farrell. You can call me TC, and I am joined from the Independent Alligator. Hey, everyone. My name is Brendan. I'm also known as TCJ. Good. You got it right that time. (laughs) (laughs) You know your own name. Thanks. So I don't know how to to introduce this. topic but we do have to we do have to, to talk about it a little bit earlier in the week it was announced that dale howarchuk passed away i believe from stomach cancer stomach cancer mm-hmm. um at the age of 57 which is far too young yeah far too young um notable Jets player, notable Sabres player, played for a bunch of different teams. I didn't know he played for the Flyers, but he did at some point. Um, yeah, that was actually the um, that was the only year that a Dale Howarchuk team made it out of the like the second round. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that they they played like 17 playoff games one season with him, which oh, and they didn't win a cup because Flyers. You talked about how uh oh, legendary Jets player. I mean, if you're asking about, you know, the first Winnipeg Jets team, yeah, um, you know, their first stint in Winnipeg, yeah, I mean, Howard probably the best player. I mean, just like career-wise. Um, and I mean, I feel like anytime there's a trivia question about the Winnipeg Jets 1.0, the answer is probably going to be Howard Chuck. Mm-hmm. Played with the Jets uh, for nine seasons, started, joined the NHL at the age of 18. Um, which even in today's standards, I guess, I don't know if that's maybe even in today's standards, isn't the right way to phrase it. Um, Cause I, I, you know, youth development has come a long way, but can you like how many NHL players join the NHL at 18? I don't know what their uh, sort of 
prospect development system was like in the 80s or if it was similar yeah well i mean was the first overall pick in 1981 uh and with that first overall pick you know he he had a pretty good rookie season uh won the calder memorial trophy as the top rookie so that's good yeah he only had 103 Um, points that year pretty good (laughs) became the youngest nhl player in history to score 100 points which is pretty impressive yeah i mean he topped 100 points I'm looking at six times came pretty darn close in a few other seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough loss, you know. And he, and although he never won a Stanley Cup, uh, he was, I believe, the youngest player to reach a hundred games. I think. Really. The first no no sorry first NHL player to reach a hundred career NHL games before the age of thirty-one. So yes and no. Hmm. I That's think the, what Wikipedia says anyway. I mean, the other thing to me is that, uh, I mean, Howard Chuck's probably up there when it comes to best players without a cop. Yeah, uh, for sure. And plus, he's number, I think, 20 on the all time scoring list. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, he was maybe like ever one of the all time greats during his time, but he was definitely up there in terms of, you know, skill level. I mean, but he's also. Admittedly, he's before our time. I mean, he yeah. retired before I was born. Unfortunately, I, I never got to see him play in TV or on in person. And the fact that he spent a lot of time in Winnipeg and Buffalo does not uh, necessarily suit to what I would be looking for as far as when I'm watching older hockey. Do you think that, um, you know, just sheer market-wise, like with uh, – Buffalo and Winnipeg. Do you think that uh, Howard Chuck would have been one of those guys people hailed as, uh, like if he played today, do you think he would have been the favorite answer for most underrated player? Oh, yeah, yes, for sure. And I think if you looked back at, if someone said, oh, who is the most underrated player of the 80s or 90s or something like that, I'm sure he would come up. Because I still don't think he gets that much national attention as far as one of hockey's greats. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's not like he didn't win like a Hart or an Art Ross, but I mean, he won a Calder though. I mean, he was just really good for a a really long time. And that's really difficult to say for a lot of players. Like, when I say it's difficult to say, I mean, it's that's hard to achieve. You don't get to say that about too many players. He went from 1982 to 1994, where he never fell below 80 points. Yeah, 80 points. That's the lowest insane. he had was 81 in 1990. That's in- like the, the only players I could think of that might be doing that sort of numbers would be like the Ovechkins, the Crosby's, the Thornton's. I'm seeing a lot of parallels to your buddy, Joe. Yeah. I was looking through long, uh, long career, always scoring points. Uh, hasn't won a cup. But what I was going to say was I was scrolling through uh, hockey reference and you know, they do these similarity scores. It's funny that you Small bring markets. up. It's funny that you bring up Joe Thorne because the top uh, comparison is Adam Oates. Okay. So you know, playmakers of the world unite. <laughs> um, so it was it was Howarchuk. Yeah, Howarchuk was most closely compared to uh, Adam Oates, Patrick Marlowe, Arc Messier, Jeremy Bronick, uh, Dennis Savard. Henrik Zetterberg, Gilbert Perot, Ron Francis, 
uh, Doug Gilmore and Rick Nash. Okay, but Howachuk did actually score some goals, um, whereas Joe Thornton was like all assists all the time. Well, so is Adam Oates. But my, um, my point is Dale has seasons where he scored 40-plus goals. He has seasons where he scored 50-plus goals. Well, you have to remember that this was uh, also the 80s. Have you seen oh, I'm, clips I, of the I, goaltending from the 80s? Yes, I am aware. But no, I mean, Dale Howardtuck's just a solid player. I mean, he's just, yeah. just a really good player. And, um, you know, 57, that's, that's just too young. Cancer is a bitch. Honestly. Um, so, again, you know, while we might not necessarily have the closest uh, personal story with Dale Howardchuck, uh, you know, it's, it's a big loss for uh, Jets fans and, and, the, and the Winnipeg community, I think, for sure. And, and I think – so, okay, so let me ask you this question. If Dale Howardchuck isn't as successful as he is, do you think the NHL goes back to Winnipeg? I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, I don't want to put it all on, on Howard Chuck. I mean, that's the, the team still, I mean, the team still existed after Howard Chuck left, but certainly like Howard Chuck helped make uh, hockey happen in Winnipeg. I'm just thinking, you know, like, like you said, you know, when you, when you hear about uh, trivia questions for anything that's original Jets team related, it's, it's a lot of time he is the answer for those questions, right? So if he is the the legacy of that first Jets team, I don't know. I don't know how successful that team is as a franchise, right? Before they move, if they're that, because um, that's a name you can sell, right? NHL at the end of the day is a business, and if that team doesn't at least make some money, I don't know if the NHL goes. You know what? Let's go back to Winnipeg in 2011 or 2013. I forget when that was. Uh, it was the 2011-12 season. Yeah, believe. But I, you're right. That is a lot to put just on on Dale Howardcheck. But he's at least a part of that, and I think I think that's a legacy you can be proud of. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was the big reason why. I mean, they were regulars in the playoffs. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, they were kind of the little brother of the Oilers and the Flames during the '80s. But you know, Howardcheck was a big part of those teams. And uh, you know, it, it always cracks me up whenever. I watch the quizzes that TSN does, or I guess technically it's the bar down team over at TSN. And they ask like an old jets question. And regardless of whether or not the answer is Dale Howarchuk, the guesses are always Dale Howarchuk. Who's the, who's the Winnipeg jets goalie with the most shutouts? Uh, Dale Howarchuk. Uh, <laughs> because it's like the go-to old jets player that everyone knows. And then yeah. after that, people are like, uh, Timu, you know? Yeah. I was like, well, I was asking a question about the eighties. It's not going to be Timu. And unfortunately, as, as, um, maybe younger, younger fans, we didn't get to really appreciate what, what Dale Howard means to the NHL community. And unfortunately, I think that means for this, um, I don't know. I don't know how, how well we're going to be able to pay tribute to him. Um, but this is, you know we're we're doing we're doing our best with what we know and what we can find. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you pretty much hit the. Uh, I don't know. You got that. That's pretty. I was going for it. <laughs> I was I was trying to figure out the the hammer and, and nail thing, and it's I okay. just got stuck on it. 
I think that's about all we're going to get out of that that segment there. Yeah, but I mean, it was definitely something that needed to be said. Yeah, something that needed to be said, something that we, we needed to hit on. And if you have made it this far into the podcast, you may have noticed the quality is a little bit better. Just a little we, bit. We, we invested in some, in some cheap mics instead of relying on our laptop mics uh, because we decided something is better than nothing. Um, so props to Brendan for ordering these mics in time for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So we might be playing a little bit with how this sounds and all that. Um, but uh, so I think what we wanted to do was, you know, cause it's the off season. Well, first I actually want to, uh, I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, how do you, how do you feel about the flames being knocked out? Eh, I mean, I, I th- you know, last week when I gave my thoughts on the jets flame series, I think I, you know, one of the things I, I hammered home, or at least I tried to, was I didn't think the Flames were really that good of a team. I didn't think they were exceptionally good to, when they beat the Jets. I didn't think the Jets really needed to bring that much to get at least a, a lead on them in the early going. And then when you play, you know, they play the Stars, who I also don't think is very good. All the Stars had to do was just be sort of okay, right? And then Kachuk goes down. All right, you take Kachuk out of that lineup. What do they've got left? Right. Well, I was just I was thinking from so, the point of view of Jets fans is that yeah. do you think it's any better or worse that the team the Jets lost to is out, or does it just not matter? I don't think it matters. Personally, I don't think it matters. But I do know there will be fans that'll say, "Well, look, we couldn't even beat this crappy team. You know, how good are we really?" And I think that, but I mean, that's, that is a fair question to ask. How good are, is this Jets team really? But I don't, I don't think that question should really hinge on how the Flames did because we've got, what was it, 71 regular season games where we were asking that question the entire season. And then we've got our games against the Flames. And I don't, I'm not going to sit, look at, watch that series and go, well, I'm going to compare the Jets to this team that knocked us out or the team that knocked out the team that knocked us out. Mm-hmm. Wait, did I do that? Math correct. I think I did that math correct. Um, I th- we've got all this other stuff to look at and say, okay, how good are these guys really? I think that's just a way better way of measuring talent instead of looking at, oh, well, what could have happened? No, like that. That's fine. I was just, uh, I was just thinking about that, and you know, yeah, like some fans are going to be like, yeah, well, it would have made me feel a little better if the Flames had gone further. But I think ultimately. Yeah. I don't think that's the measuring stick that the Jets should use. Do you think um, when when the Jets were knocked out, do you think, well, A, did you yourself have any expectations, the, or when the Jets were knocked out, did you yourself have any expectations that the Flames could go on a run? Was there anything that you saw that you would say, hey, this Flames team is dangerous? And B, do you think fans of the Jets or fans of hockey in general had any expectations that the Flames were going to do any sort of damage in this playoffs? I didn't really have much expectations for the Flames at the beginning of the playoffs. And I don't really think that them beating the Jets would have, or I don't, I didn't think that at the time that it would change anything. And agreed. uh, You know, even after they beat the Jets, I was still like, they're probably still going to lose to Dallas. So one of the things that we wanted to do, because it's the off season, uh, you know, other than uh, hit the, mental golf course for us 
you know, we kind of did want to do some sort of player grades, I guess. You know, talk about a, you know a couple of players and how their seasons went, and um, especially because uh, with with Howard and um, you know his relationship with Mark Shifley, I think that uh, Mark Shifley would be a good place to start. So, what did you think of Shifley's season this year? I mean, it was good. It, clearly, he has a tremendous effect on how this team and affects the lineup tremendously. I mean, we saw that when he's out of the lineup, this team doesn't have it does not have it even when he's in the lineup i think that there's a lot that needs to fix with this this team but when he's out of the lineup in particular you can you notice oh this is a dramatically different team particularly on the power play usually when people are out of the lineup i don't like to make that affect their um their final grade but i think this time we could see you know when he was out of the lineup we could see oh this team does not gel so with that in mind, I think I think I'd have to give him a I want to say a B plus. I want to give him an A because of the way the the, the team played without him was kind of lacking, right? Um, but there, are, I can't give him credit for a lot of his five on five play, right? A lot of his impact comes on the power play and being able to score goals. And he scored goals and made plays happen. Was a excellent playmaker for this team and so i think that earns his b plus rating but i i didn't see enough from so if you're if this is a guy that you're going to rely on to play 20 minutes a night and he's your center he's he's got to show a little bit more on the defensive end to earn that a i think that just from what i've seen if you look at the five on five shot rates when he's on the ice when his line is on the ice you know, the Jets are getting pummeled in their own end. Unless, unless Shifley's scoring. If Shifley is scoring on that shift, then it's fine. If Shifley, Connor, and whoever, Blake Wheeler, if they are not scoring on that shift, the Jets are in trouble. And to me, that I can't give them an A for that. Yeah, it was a little weird to me. I was looking over at HockeyBiz.com, run by uh, Micah Blake McCurdy. It was a great follow on Twitter, by the way. And I was looking at Shifley's isolated impact at five on five, and it's like I was looking at his career, and it goes from like okay in his own end to not like disastrously bad. Like like all the seasons are somewhere in there. They're somewhere between negative six percent and like plus six and a half. So kind of never 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 truly stellar, just right around average for the most part. Yeah, and then it blew up this year to a plus 12.9% oh. uh, defensively, which really, uh, if you never looked at these charts before, a positive percentage is not good defensively because we're looking at like, you know, a, a positive uh, impact defensively is going to be, you know, that's so, going to mean that there are going to be more dangerous shots in your own net. So the other team is 12% more effective offensively when he's on the ice. Close to 13%, yes. 13% more effective when he's on the ice. But So that happened. But also, this was one of his best seasons offensively. Um, only his 10.1% in 2017-18 was better than his plus 9.3% this year. Oh, okay. So the Jets is... So, you know, more or less what we've been saying is somebody, when he's on the ice, somebody is going to score. 
Yeah. Um, whether it's him or the other team, someone scoring. So that's, well, that's good. I that think. aspect though, combined with Connor Hellbuck actually meant though that way more often than, you know, maybe that other numbers would say should have happened uh, more often than not the Jets were the ones scoring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can, that shows up in, I mean, that definitely shows up in the results, right? That's how the Jets land themselves into the playoff um, I was going to say bubble, but that's a t- totally different term now. Um, on the playoff, fringe playoff of the contention. playoff, playoff yeah. contention. There we go. Um, be- because of the, that goal difference, if you want to call it that. But yeah, you know, so it's it's kind of a an interesting mix of a, a lot of different things for for Shifley. Um, there's a lot of a lot of give and take with Shifley season this year, and you know, depending on how much you weigh certain um, like metrics you know, you, you come up with different things. Uh, so for example, like I remember on evolving hockey's like goals above replacement, like his offensive goals above replacement is incredible, but mm-hmm. or, like his, his even strength, like offensive impact uh, is really, really good. But his defense is really, really bad to the point where it's like one of the worst in the league. Mm-hmm. Like I think um, and I think that's just something that the Jets are going to have to look at. So, and I think that uh, so many times when we have like dynamic offensive players, we're a little more willing to look over uh, defensive shortcomings, and we just sort of sure. go with the well. More often than not, like the the goals, you know, I'll, I'll take the the defensive shortcomings if I can get the goals. And yes, like Shifley was still a positive impact player last year. Um, and as we saw in the playoffs, like yeah, that was bad. That was miserable hockey to watch. Oh yeah. Like aside from Connor Hellebuck, <laughs> Shifley, well, Shifley even, is their most valuable player. Yeah. So what grade are you giving him? I, I would say, I would say also like a, like a B plus, like obviously his offensive talent, like, you know, he's, he's, he is one of the more dynamic players in the league. I mean, uh, I know that, I'll be one of the first people to tell you that points aren't always everything, you know, but in his case, he had, he had 73 points in 71 games. Yeah. That's Uh, insane. You know, now that you say that, that's hard for me not to give him the a, you know, he had, we talked about the playoffs and um, he's always been a playoff performer. So it sucks that we didn't get to see him really this year. But I mean, in his career, he's got 26 points in 28 playoff games. Yeah. Here's a here's a fun Shifley stat for you. He's got 16 goals on 61 shots in the playoffs in his career for a shooting percentage of 26.2 percent. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. What what would for comparison? What would you say an average shooting percentage is? Usually, like I don't know, but I mean. 10, 12%, probably somewhere in there. I mean, Shifley himself is, has always been a really good shooter, but that's also kind of crazy. You know what? He was about a point a game. I think I have to give him the A rating. And that's fine. To me, um, his defensive shortcomings are a little too much for me to like completely overlook in that aspect. Yeah. It is tough, but... You know, to it's, me, the, it's a, the the crazy thing was um, him having like over 
like just barely over 50% in, in goals for, like just barely outscoring the opposition, <laughs> despite playing some of the just like worst despite, defense so, in the league. <laughs> wait, so what you're saying is not only is he scoring at a point a game, but he's also almost allowing a point a game, almost the same rate. Oh, well, yeah. Well, like, so like goals for numbers are a little strange. Like they can be skewed by like a lot of things. So, right, like, because goals are such isolated events, like just being like, well, you know, there, there are going to be good players that get outscored at 5 on 5 sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because of things that are outside of their control, like basically goaltending and other team or other teammates shooting, right? But despite playing some pretty awful defense, Mark Shifley, when he was on the ice, the Jets scored on almost 11% of their shots. And uh, they had a pretty good save percentage too. So it was it was kind of wild, especially considering like the the defense that they played. I think it's time we move on to um Kyle Connor. Yeah. So I, th- I think is so intrinsically tied to Mark Shifley. Yeah, like, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to do them both. I'm them. racking my brain trying to think of things that we didn't already say about Mark Shifley to to say about Kyle Connor. And I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is his Silky mitts in the corners and uh, being able to to dance around players. But, I mean, really a lot of the talking points that we just brought up about Mark Shively can also be applied to Kyle Connor. Well, I think the first thing is that Kyle Connor is kind of on his way to being one of those guys that people point to as, like, not being a playoff performer. because or, I mean, or he just cannot score against the Flames. That's part of it. He just can't score against the Flames. He's never scored against the Flames. He was 0 for 14 in four games. That can't be like an actual – that's got to be like a mental block or something, right? Like that I don't can't know. be like – But in 27 career playoff games, he's got six goals and, and 10 assists. His, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because as a career – like across his career, he's shot 15.4%, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. But his career in the playoffs, he's shooting 9.4%. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what to make of that. I mean, you know, small sample size alert. Um, but recently I have found myself kind of fascinated with guys like Johnny Goudreau, right, who we kind of have attached this idea that they're not playoff performers. And so it kind of creates an interesting debate to me with okay so these guys are really good in the regular season and haven't gotten it done in the playoffs right so do you just sort of like keep bashing your head against the wall with those players and you know hope that you know one year they'll get hot or is that like legitimately a thing right like you think about all the years that the caps got bounced out of the playoffs right yeah but well, they, they, think, they, they stuck with I mean, the movie and because you have to, right? Like he's Ovechkin. Yeah, he's and yeah, they eventually won the, it all. But what about players that aren't as good as Ovechkin, right? Do you just keep going back to the well? Like I think you do, but it, it, I have sort of thought about this a lot lately. I mean, you kind of have to if you've already decided, hey, this guy is going to be a core part of our franchise, right? Because once you decide, I mean. Once you decide that and you go back on that, it's, you're, you're deciding, hey, this guy isn't important to us anymore um, because he's not good in the playoffs. But he's clearly one of your most talented players on the team. 
So I think you have to because he is one of those guys. He's just one part of your core and you got to stick to your core. I don't know if that makes any sense or. No, like, that makes sense. Like I do enjoy laughing at like people like the Maple Leafs fans that are like trade Tavares, Marner and or Matthews, right? Because they can't get it done in the playoffs. But yeah, like there are guys who legitimately elevate their games in the playoffs. I think of guys like Logan Couture or as you've seen with Dallas recently, you know, Joe Pavelski. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, there are guys that legitimately like they hit the playoffs and their games like go up. Who on the Jets do you think would fit that mold? And I I wonder if just from what we've seen this season, Adam Lowry or Andrew Kopp could be one of those guys. Yeah, I thought Adam Lowry was the guy that did that this year for the Jets. Yeah. Like, I I said this, I've said this last couple weeks, Adam Lowry was their best player. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, What grade are you getting, are you giving um, Kyle Connor? I mean, I would say a B. Um, it's weird when we talk about Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley because my uh, criticisms and my compliments are basically the same thing for both of them. Kyle Connor is, is a very intriguing offensive talent. You know, he scored 38 goals this year. He scored 30. I mean, that was his third straight year of scoring. Oh, sorry, it was, yeah, uh, his third straight year of scoring 30 goals, and he's only 23. But his defensive numbers are just appalling. Like, they're bad. Like, like if you go and you look at, you know, defensive stuff and you just sort by the worst, like, Kyle Connor's up there. Hmm. Like, he and Shifley are basically the same player when it comes to that sort of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I I was I think this time I'm going to stick to my guns and say B plus for all the reasons that I was going to give Mark Shifley a B plus. Unless you can tell me that Kyle Connor was also operating at a point a game pace. Um they had the same they tied, I think, at seventy three points. Well what are you gonna do now? Crap. I guess I have to give them both an A. But uh, I do think that I do think that Shifley, uh, or I'm sorry, I think that Connor benefits from playing with Shifley more than um, Shifley benefits from playing with Connor. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, their defensive number, it's, it's so hard to break them apart because they played together so much this year. Yeah. And I'm still really annoyed that they stuck with that Shifley Connor line A line for so long. So long, yeah. When it just so clearly didn't work. I think that, you know, I mean, it's easy to say like, you don't look at goals as a way to measure talent. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I do. Watch the game nerd. I do. Like, there is value in being a very good shooter. Yes. Like, I can't tell you that enough. Like, that's how you win games. That's how you win games. Yeah, exactly. They do this more than anybody. Therefore, good. Right. But, you know, when you look at, I don't have the numbers in front of me on this, but when you look at, that line and you know their expected goals was like 42 percent or something crazy and it's like okay um there's something wrong here but if you're using goals 
you know, you might not see that. Hmm. You're like, okay, well, they're still you're not getting like dominated out there, you know, so we're going to keep going with it. And it's like, okay, but they're spending most of their time in their own zone. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested in how Kyle Connor's career progresses. Um, you know, and I don't really blame a 23 year old for not having all the, uh, de- you know, defensive aspects of the game down yet. But also, I mean, the defensive numbers are pretty terrible. And with this defense, they need all the help they can get. Yeah, I mean, yes. Having with a lot of ice line. time with that blue line is also not going to do a whole lot for your defensive metrics. No. But, like, there are ways to sort of isolate that. And they're not super complementary to Kyle Connor's defensive abilities. And yes, that we have- know of, the Jets apparently have a different model that uh, is not publicly available. I, I love it when, when teams with bad analytics I, public analytics are like yeah well our in like our, in our in-house ones, metrics yeah. our in-house metrics show us that we're actually good standard response like well because you can't you uh, can't double check that because they're in-house no. analytics it's like jim rutherford um backing up jack johnson well from what we've got uh he's not as bad as you say he is yeah what? exactly like like what you reach a point where especially with a guy like Jack Johnson, I'm not saying that this is the case for Kyle Connor. No, 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 no. But I'm not. Like, I am not comparing Kyle Connor to Jack Johnson. Right, but if you get to the point where the public stuff is so much different than the in-house stuff, like I have serious questions about how accurate it is. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really think that um, that sort of stuff, even if it's more, I don't know accurate or there's more there's more stuff yeah more precise or there's more stuff involved that public models don't have i don't think it's going to create that like huge like difference but yeah so that's our show i think (laughs) i like kyle connor a lot there's a lot of value in his in his abilities on special teams and his shooting capabilities but i still do have serious questions about his defense and i think that really prevents me from um putting him at like in the A yeah. range. So I, I'm just going to keep I mean, it at a B. Right I can't. Now, but. Yeah, I just, if you're operating at a point of a game pace, like how many other players in the league are doing that? Like, that, that's fair. I think that's, that's a fair criticism. You know, maybe I'm being a little too tough. Maybe. But um, that's, that's where I would be. Okay. And with that, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? I think we're, I think we're, I think we're pretty, pretty talked out here. Time. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at gripper 60 pod. Um, you know, check out all of our friends at the hockey podcast network. You know, you can find our podcasts, you know, on, on places like Spotify and, and all that. So feel free to check yeah. that out. Give us like some cool reviews if you're on iTunes. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks for listening and have a good one. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.